1: Today's podcast, great one. Michael Malice is on. We talked to a couple of uh, people that really know what's going on in Washington. One is is a Republican that's going to be, probably be the head of the, financial, uh, the finance committee in Washington that looks over the financial uh, sector. He's talking to us about what's really going on and the dangers of a central bank cryptocurrency from the Fed. Also, we talk about the dangerous pattern that we now have in our intelligence community using unverified sources and facts as
2: propaganda in the war in Ukraine. Carol Roth also joins us about the economy and what's ahead there. By the way, if you want to save a little bit of money, you have an opportunity. Uh, I think it's I think it's open until Sunday. You said at one point... It's Friday. Yeah, but maybe day. it is. I Sunday. think it might be this weekend again. If you try it, if you listen to the podcast on Saturday and give it a shot, feel free. But it's the, it's the code, The Alamo, when you sign up for Blaze TV at blaze.tv.com slash Glenn. If you do it there, use the code, The Alamo, you'll save 20 bucks off your subscription going forward. And one of the things you get, you get access to
1: the weekly Wednesday night television show, which next week is is a dangerous show um, but a very serious show it's on the president's cognitive collapse Uh, also um, you get things like our podcasts you get the one on one interviews you don't want to miss this interview this week on the podcast it comes out Saturday it's been out for two days if you're a Blaze subscriber Um, but it is it's all about Hunter Biden's laptop and the Biden family Don't miss it. That's tomorrow's podcast. Here's today's.
3: You're
0: listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program.
1: This is the Glenn Beck program. This is the last day for the promo code, the Alamo.
2: We are. Oh, I know why. You're going out of business. The whole company's going out of business, isn't it? And so this is no. the last day you can save because tomorrow, uh, yeah. It's gone. It's all gone. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, I think so. so. I
1: think you're talking about CNN Plus. Oh, that's yeah, right. CNN yeah, Plus. I'm i think sorry. that's what You're right. Anyway, you're we really right. need your support. Uh, social media has just, they have us by the throat. And uh, we built this to be able to be, to withstand several attacks on us. But this is a, this is a big one and we'll survive uh, obviously, we will thrive. Um, we are the Alamo. I built this to be the last man standing, and we are going to do that. But we really need your support. Subscribe. If you find the things that we do um, useful to you and you want to keep our voice going, please subscribe and join us. Be a part of the team. BlazeTV.com slash glen Promo code. The Alamo, save $20 uh, right now, uh, and today is the, the last day you can do that. So, speaking of CNN+, Plus, which, on day two, they <laughs> Love this gave a 50% cut <laughs> on the rate. Right. That was, means day one went so well, well yeah. that they didn't have to charge as much anymore, Is right? that what it is? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what yeah. It meant. I, yeah. I have been speculating in my own head how few people actually subscribed and i'll bet you it was under 30,000 yeah oh i bet it was way under right. 30 do you i think so think of the global reach i'll
2: bet it was between one and five
1: <laughs> thousand or <laughs> yeah.
2: one and five thousand okay, okay. Oh, okay not one and yeah. five people <laughs> no, no yeah because i think you're right this is the type of organization they put a a fortune, fortune into this. I mean, they have so many employees. They're already talking about laying off oh, employees. Yeah. Uh, I'd love yeah. to do an interview on that with Brian Stelter. <laughs> Wait, why? <laughs> why? 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 Particularly <laughs> Brian? Because huh. I do remember you yeah. have you've been interviewed by Brian Stelter yeah. before. Well, what I'd
1: like to do is invite him on uh, to talk about something very important. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, that I know he's really interested in. Sure, uh, mm-hmm. and then. Right at the point where you're making the point, I would say, Brian, isn't your company collapsing? Aren't you about to go out of business? That's yeah. weird. Why would you say that? I don't know. You know I don't how do you think know. he'd
2: react to something like that? Do you think he might just no, he stand wouldn't. up and no, turn he, around and walk no, out of the interview? he's too much of a fat lump to do that. Standing is hard. So yesterday, <laughs> uh,
1: yesterday they had this... Uh, Uh, This big, I I don't even know, conference where they brought in all of the liars and they set them on a stage and they said, we've got to talk about misinformation and disinformation and malinformation and how it's destroying our democracy. So the guy I pick right away is the fat lump from CNN. Uh, And he was asked a question about Disney. And he said, you know, the theme The talking point of the right about protecting kids from the dangers of the Walt Disney company. It's really Disney is just a stand in. It's a symbol for something bigger, a conservative backlash to growing acceptance of gay and transgender people. Oh, my gosh. Mm. You couldn't be more wrong if you try. And I
2: think he tries to be wrong it's i mean, again the the bill they're talking about would also prohibit you talking about straight sexual encounters It's not <laughs> uh, how it could <laughs> possibly be about being gay when it also would prohibit straight conversations uh, makes d- no sense It is truly about because I looked
1: up the definition today from uh the Justice Department uh and the uh the American bar association It, it is grooming it is technically grooming.
2: Yeah, this is a this is that big debate right now of whether you use that term. I think, you know, I look it up. I thought who really made a a good explanation of this was uh, was James Lindsay the other day. And one of the things he mentioned was people keep saying grooming like like, look, I think Chris Hayes is wrong on basically every issue on MSNBC. I'm, I'm sure we would agree on nothing. Do I think he's trying to molest children? No, no I don't. But that's not How, the definition of grooming. Right. That, people like That is one definition. Like Jeffrey Correct. Epstein, mm-hmm. yes, he would be called a groomer. Now, again, wasn't gay. Had nothing to do with no. being gay. No, uh, he was not the groomer yeah the uh gladwell they, whatever uh, her name was jelaine Ma- uh mm-hmm. maxwell yeah maxwell they, well, again they worked together on that i would i would I <laughs> know i
1: know that but mm-hmm. she was doing the grooming he was doing the molesting
2: yes mm-hmm. I, th- That's I was probably some of the stories mm-hmm. like you know they they both imported a young yeah, teenage right. painter to their house and kept the correct like, there's there That's are cases really where epstein i would definitely put him thing. in this category as well yeah. but again like you jump to that, what 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 uh, James Lindsay said on the show is that like think of grooming as for a cult, for example. Yeah, you're trying to to look at the craziness we're talking about. Uh, men are women and women are men, right? Like these basic facts that everyone understands. You're trying to convince people to question a foundational truth that they all know. That is the type of activity cults do all the time. Right, but here and here's
1: the other part that cults do they also separate you mainly from your family. They start separating you and making sure yeah. that they are between you point. and mom and dad or you and the family mm-hmm. and anyone who comes up against it, they are discredited and they're an enemy of the cult.
2: Yeah. That's what this is. Yeah. I mean, Let me, listen to some of the people who have left, you know, uh, uh, Scientology who, who believe they've been groomed into that lifestyle. Uh, you know, the, Oh, I can't think of her name, the lady that was on King of Queens. I mean, listen to her talk about it. This is yeah. exactly the stuff she's talking about. She's not talking about uh, this, the grooming stuff like Jeffrey Epstein. It's a totally different thing. Pat Gray
1: joins us from Pat Gray Unleashed, the podcast you can get anywhere. <laughs> At the uh, Disinformation and the Erosion of Democracy Conference, a University of Chicago freshman stood up and said, I've got a question for Brian Stelter.
4: My name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, my question's for Mr. Seltzer. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation. Uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the Jesse Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist and all they also smeared Nick salmon as a white supremacist and yes, right. they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation all true uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media and cnn per, in particular seem to magically all go in one direction Great. are we expected to believe that this is all just it's some sort of student. random coincidence or is there something awesome. else behind now, listen it? to this answer it's
2: too bad it's time for lunch you 30 seconds there's a clock that says 30 seconds but but i think my honest answer to you and i will I'll come over and talk in more detail after this no please no thank is you. That I think you're describing a different channel than the one that I watch. Uh, oh, but I understand geez. that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. I think it's important when we talking about shared mature. reality and democracy, all these networks, all these news outlets have to defend democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. Uh, but when but look, Benjamin Hall, just, the Fox correspondent, what? was wounded in Ukraine. Stop, stop. He, but he
1: refused to admit it. He said those, right. basically those things <laughs> didn't happen. That's just a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things are easily verifiable. Mm-hmm. You know You just have to admit it, but he's part of the disinformation, and yet he's the expert trying to point to the disinformation. We're in an upside-down world. Let me give you one more um, college student that went after um, Ann Applebaum. Listen to this. So in 2020, he wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, a poll later
2: after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? Listen to this. What can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality?
0: My my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or... I mean, I don't think the hunter mm. biden's um business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the united states Oh so my gosh i, I didn't find i don't find it to be interesting you didn't I mean, find that, it to that be, would be my problem with the that as a as a major news okay stop
1: so, this is wow it, this too is incredible Here's she's from the atlantic and so that's why she talks like this <laughs> um but she finds it not interesting yeah. here are the headlines okay. that she has written lately tucker carlson is stirring up hatred of america the My Pillow guy could really destroy democracy. Laura <laughs> oh, Ingram's geez. descent into despair. That she finds interesting. But the relationships that are providing money to the current president. Not interesting. Not interesting. You know, if it was Donald Jr. Oh, she'd find it very. Interesting.
2: I Would she though? Yeah. I don't know. Really?
3: Yeah. If, yeah. He's,
1: if
2: yeah. he's making millions from a foreign country mm-hmm. and has written emails that like a tenth or fifty percent of it goes to the big guy, his dad. Yeah. I don't think she'd I will tell interesting. you
1: that I can. I I know Imagine. I would lay. I bet my house and everything I have on the two of you, but I don't know if I can say that about most of the media on the right or the left that if this were reversed we'd cover it we would cover it no and i'd call for the impeachment of the president i think we've proven that i think we have to i think we have to Mm -hmm. it's very interesting Mm -hmm. and it's it's fascinating to me that they are continuing the lie it shows they haven't learned anything they're not interested in learning anything Yeah, they have decided what the role of the media is and the role of the media is to protect the Democratic Party. That's it. And now they are taking the step further and they are openly saying anything that disagrees with us up on this stage is Mm -hmm. disinformation and a threat to democracy that should scare the hell out of people. Now, what's really good, the college students that were there. Yeah. And the fact that we're not a democracy, that's also really good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, really good. (laughs) So we don't have to worry about (laughs)
1: democracy. we against it (laughs) so often. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Pat. Pat Gray from Pat Gray Unleashed. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck program. Welcome to Michael Malice, the author of the anarchist handbook, dear reader, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong two uh, and the new right. A journey to the fringe of American politics. Uh, co-author, strangely, of two New York Times bestsellers. I huh, who knew he could get on the New York. To- I can't get on the New York Times. I mean, not on the top ten. Yeah, you're number number one in sales, but number 15 on the New York Times list. It's amazing how that works. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Mr. Michael Malice. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good morning. Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've got several things to talk about. First of all, love to hear your opinion on the AP reporter that absolutely knew the Pentagon was lying when they were like, yeah, and Russia might be using chemical weapons. Uh, And now we find out that our National Security Council and our intelligence are spreading misinformation. They're using it and they think it's a noble lie. Uh, You know, we're just trying to stop Russia, trying to beat them to the punch. So they are using disinformation on the American people and on the rest of the world. That doesn't sound like a good idea.
3: Uh, it may have been a good idea maybe 20 years ago when you wouldn't have social media and other such mechanisms that can demonstrate things that aren't true and have them spread, you know, quite literally at the speed of light. Uh, I think this is just piss poor strategy. I think if you want to whip people into a frenzy against uh, Russia and talk about the things that the Russians are doing, anytime you add lies on top of that yep. pile, it's just going to alienate people. And there is a huge percentage of population, both from Democrats and from Republicans, that whoever the sitting president is, they're just going to immediately disbelieve anything they say on its face. So to have like actual receipts that they're being deceptive is really crazy. Bad. And also it just speaks to the, why I'm hopeful about the future. You know, the enemy class, which includes corporate journalists, these are not clever, sophisticated people. Uh, They're not good at being manipulative. They've just been at it for 100 years, and they're not in a position to change their strategy. And that bodes well for all of us.
1: Yeah. And I I was thinking, uh, I was thought about you this morning when I was reading this article, because I thought this is what the founders wanted us to feel like, not about journalists. And they were counting on journalists holding the line, uh, but they wanted us. I mean, George Washington talked about it. Thomas Jefferson talked about it all the time. The government uh, should never be feared by the people. The government should fear uh, the people rising up and the peoples holding them accountable and never trust the government. And we've, And we've trusted it for so long. And I think this is actually a good thing that
3: we don't really trust them anymore. Well, I, I don't know who we is here, sir, but you're speaking to an anarchist, so we have never trusted the government. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I will also point out that you're, that Jeff, I'm a big Alexander Hamilton fan, but Jefferson was a good example of this because, Glenn, as you know, and I know. which people find interesting, when Jefferson was in the cabinet, Washington's cabinet, he's leaking left and right to the press to make Washington look bad. So he, in this case, put his money where his mouth is, and he used uh, the press as a mechanism to keep the government in check. So uh, this has been going on this kind of uh, backdoor collusion between the media and the federal government since, the, again, the Washington administration it
1: always it always. But, you know, the one thing we did have is we had a media that I mean, when I was watching that uh, video, it was about two months ago with the AP reporter sitting there and just not giving the Pentagon any room to breathe. He's like, look, so where's the evidence? Because I know how this works. You say something like that and you usually come out here and you'll show us declassify. But you're not doing that. So you don't have any evidence. No, of course we have evidence. We're just not going to share it with you. Now we find out that they don't. But yeah, there's, I- there was only one
3: guy in the press that did that. I'll defend them broadly speaking in one sense, I don't think any of us are privy to what kind of pressure the Pentagon and and the state is capable of exerting on uh, media outlets. Uh, what kind of phone calls they can make behind closed doors to make sure their story gets out, I think they have a lot more leverage than any of us realize. Uh, not uh, and me. That can I've man- been there. Well, not you, of course, yeah. but that can manifest in things like reporters being told, okay, we're not talking about this issue, and what is that individual reporter working for a media conglomerate supposed to do? Uh,
1: that, media, uh, that media reporter uh, has what's called the Internet and should go out and expose it. That's what they should do. Anybody at this point... That looks at their job and says, I'm going to be quiet when I have information that is really critical to the survival of our country and our republic. Uh, I don't I, I, I hold you responsible. You should have said something. It drives me nuts when these people leave, you know, years of service at the Pentagon or whatever. And then they come out a year later with a tell all book. Why didn't
3: you say something when you were there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to have me defend them in the sense of saying that they're courageous people. I'm just saying that it makes sense in many cases why they would make those decisions that they did.
1: So the New York Times or the Washington Post came out this week and said, Elon Musk uh, investing in Twitter, bad news for free speech. I mean, that is
3: the upside down world. I I was ecstatic because I think what is Elon Musk, I had this tweet that Elon Musk has done a better job of going on on offense than practically the entire conservative movement. What's wonderful about this, and I don't think Elon particularly cares about free speech so much as being a counterpuncher like President Trump was in certain contexts. Mm -hmm. For them, Twitter was their sacred space. This was their temple. This was their place to manage the conversation, to discuss the political issues. And now you have this heretic you know crossing the you know crossing the rubicon saying this is my house now and this is causing them before he's done one single thing the only thing he's teased is do you guys want an edit button <laughs> so the fact that he's in their house is causing them so much existential distress it's absolutely hilarious because the key is you have to go where the enemy class is and make them feel unsafe make them feel that their forts are breached because then they don't have that air of smugness and they're going to have that shrieking of fear correctly because they're not in charge anymore what
1: is different about elon musk than others i mean he is he has is it his his uh kind of i hate to say this because i hate thomas edison but is it is Thomas Edison kind of oh, I'm just going to go out and do it. Uh that kind of that kind of American spirit that
2: gives him a little protection from I mean, people? You're talking about Elon Musk and you're using Edison, should you use Tesla? <laughs>
3: yeah, or Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess well, I should. Tesla- Tesla kind of died broke, so yeah, I think. And, yeah. But you know, Tesla's another better example because Elon Musk is an immigrant. Listen, I'm an immigrant yeah. as well. And when you're born in another country, a lot of the things that Americans kind of take for granted and you absorb through osmosis, you're not going to kind of be raised in that context. Um, and I think Elon, and I'm being quite serious here, Elon's on the spectrum. He's, he's got Asperger's by his own admission. When you have that kind of hyperlogical mindset, a lot of things that other people might kind of fall prey to you're not you're going to have more strength to stand up so when he sees who is up against him and the smears and the lies uh he's in a much better position especially given his wealth and it's also his idiosyncratic personality uh to fight back and realize okay these are not people making mistakes these are people who if they had their druthers loved me yesterday and now want to put me out of business today
1: uh you know i i will tell you that uh, you know everybody looks at asperger's as you know something horrible your kids would uh, would have Um, However, it's actually uh, turning out, you know, if you can control it, it's like ADD. If you can control it, it actually works out to be something really good for the culture that we're in right now.
3: Yeah, there's certain great advantages uh, yeah. people are on the spectrum have that others don't. So yeah. the, I think there's a big movement among people with autism to kind of humanize and be like, hey, we're not disabled. We just think differently. And, and I think there's a lot to that.
1: Um, so the the Twitter thing with Elon Musk came out, what, April 5th is when they were first uh, reporting on. That's when The Washington Post said it was a danger. The 7th. Uh, we get a story about the New York times coming out and saying, you know, you reporters here at the New York times, you don't have to use Twitter, uh, because we run the danger of, uh, you know, an echo chamber. If we're spending too much, too much, they just thought of this too much time (laughs) on Twitter. Uh, and there's a lot of really dangerous people on Twitter. Uh, so you don't have to use it. Are those connected?
3: Well, it, it's. I don't think they're connected per se. I think it speaks to when Taylor Lorenz, who's a you know one of the most malevolent New York Times reporters, she was at M- embassy MSNBC, you know, crying about how mean people are her on Twitter. Notice the two contradictory statements, Glenn. If it's an echo chamber, there's no nasty people. If you're just talking to each other, <laughs> how, how are you getting all this hate? So it's clearly right. it's not an echo chamber. Um, then. Twitter has demonstrated to corporate journalists how much hatred and contempt the average person correctly has for them. Uh, I think what happened is, I'm sure... After that crying fit, um, there were phone calls behind the scenes to Twitter asking them to crack down and make people treat journalists nicer. They drew the line. And as a result, the New York Times is somewhat retreating. Uh, I, I, I'll take this with a grain of salt. I think we all remember in 2016, after President Trump won, Dean Banquet, who's head of the New York Times, said, oh, we're going to do a better job of trying to accommodate mm-hmm. you know, more Americans. Our reporting was way off. And instead, they right. double, triple, quadruple down. But I think this is a big retreat. Uh, This is them. You know, we had four years of like social media misinformation, you know, journalists are being treated poorly when they're the heroes of our society. And, you know, the more they're crapped on instead of doubling down, now they're having to retreat. So this is a victory that people should be very grateful for, even though it's a very small victory.
1: Uh, One last thing. We've got about 90 seconds for this. Um, ESI energy on Tuesday pleaded guilty to three counts of violations Um, In their their wind farms, they uh, are a big wind power developer, and apparently they pled guilty to the murder of golden eagles. Uh, Apparently, the birds were killed by blunt force trauma after being, quote, struck by the wind turbine blades at its facilities in Wyoming or New Mexico. Uh, And uh, they're they're paying six point two million dollars in rest restitution, I I, I guess, to the Eagles families. (laughs) Um, But this is just to me, this is just another thing that shows environmentalists are never going to be happy with anything,
3: anything. Well, I'm a big endangered species person. I've got 200 species of succulents in my house and I just looked it up while we're talking. The golden eagle is the most widely distributed species of eagle. It's not endangered. It's not even vulnerable near a threat and its least concern. So this seems to me to be completely nuts. If this was some kind of bird where there's like 50 of them left then I could understand the idea of, all right, we have to have draconian measures to kind of protect them. But that is not the case with this species at all. So this is just you know, very bizarre. But this isn't unusual. Wind farms are known uh, for yeah. just decimating bird populations. And, right. and by the way, those of you who have cats that live outside, your cat's entire life is dedicated to killing those birds. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing they like oh, I murder know. birds all day it's their, I know. their favorite thing
1: i had a i had a uh a hawk i think land in my backyard the other day and uh we were all watching we were having dinner and then we realized the reason why it landed is it was having dinner as well yeah and, yeah. yeah i mean it's it's a it's a vicious way to die uh by talon but i don't have to worry about it neither do you so let's move on with our lives Michael, thank you so much.
3: Always a pleasure. Yeah,
1: you bet. Uh, Michael Malice, you can uh, follow him uh, on Twitter. But remember, it's just an echo chamber. Uh, MichaelMalice.com is his website. Back in just a minute. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Carol Roth, a uh, recovering investment baker and the author of The War on Small Business. She has just released a uh, new article. You'll find it at TheBlaze.com, Creative Ways to com- to uh, Combat Inflation. Carol, I went over that uh, with the audience yesterday. Um, really, really good and so much better than uh, uh, take the bus and what, what do they say? Eat
0: lentils lentils, Eat some yeah. lentils. Yep. yeah thank you bloomberg for that <laughs> go
1: big on lentils so g- grab that article now at theblaze.com creative ways to help combat inflation she has some really good advice on what people should be doing right now to save um let me ask you about uh, the uh, mortgage situation i'm getting a ton of calls and emails from people that say should i buy so should i buy a home or not buy a home what, what Do you have any advice on that or any insight? All
0: right. So I'll give insight because we're not allowed to give financial advice. Uh, this yeah. is a disclaimer. This is not financial advice. This is just information for you to research and to consider. So there are a couple of things to think about Um this is again a rule of thumb. Um, for every one percent that a mortgage rate goes up, you are going to add about ten percent to the cost of your home over the time that you buy the home. So, you know, as you can as you see it kind of tick up and tick up. You know, if, if you wait and you have to get a higher and higher mortgage rate, just keep in mind that you know that's going to add ten percent on the back end, which you're not seeing up front when you pay it. Um, I also heard I. I was with um, Neil Cavuto earlier this week, and, and he gave me a statistic that apparently the breaking point where it becomes unaffordable for people to buy homes, um, and we haven't seen this in a while, so I just don't know how accurate it is today, is 5.75%. So mm. apparently, um, that's kind of what the industry thinks is the magic number. There are a couple of competing things that we have going on right now. Um, we obviously have home prices that have been severely inflated, because of the Federal Reserve's intervention in the market. But we also have now a um, a situation Where our dollars are going to be worth less, so we need to have hard assets. We also have a severe undersupply of homes in the market. After the Great Recession, financial crisis, that next decade we were underbuilt by you know kind of four to five million homes. So depending on who you ask, uh, four to five plus million homes that we need in terms of the the housing for individuals, and we've obviously had a slowdown on immigration. So we know the Biden administration is going to ramp that up again. There's going to be more demand for housing. So I would imagine that even if there is some pullback, you know, for some point in time, the fact that we have such undersupply and it's going to take so long to fill that in is going to, at some point, provide a level of support. Not to mention, as we've talked about, Glenn, and we've written some articles at the blaze about, um, you've got these corporations who are flush with cash, who are coming in and being buyers. So you've got more buyers, than just homeowners in the market, Correct. that also provides some support for pricing at some point.
1: I, I really hate the uh, expression, yeah, but this time it's different because it usually never is. But this time, um, there is one additional element, and that is we don't have a glut of housing. We, we actually no. have the opposite problem. Um, now, let me ask you this, because the interest rates at the banks are already going up for your loans. Uh, and it's up. <laughs> it's already up in the fours, in some places close to five. Over
0: five, yeah.
1: Um, and uh, yet, the banks are only paying 0.5 percent interest for the loans. Correct.
0: Uh, I don't know the exact amount that's sort of the national average now, but in terms of. Um, the spreads, obviously, a rising interest rate environment is more favorable to banks. And we have a situation where banks are flush with cash from what's been going on over the last couple of years. Right. So even if you have savings in your bank, um, they're not going to be paying you very much on that because they don't need to incentivize no, no, no. people to give them more money.
1: Right. No, I'm I'm asking about the the way you curb inflation. Is the Fed charges the banks more money, more uh, more interest for them to borrow money from the Fed to be able to lend it out. So they're paying maybe two percent. You're paying five percent and they get to keep the three percent that two percent goes back to be burned. Right.
0: Yeah. So I so I don't I, I don't have the specific kind of number of on average of where banks are in terms of their capital. To give you a really specific answer, I can answer that next time. But yes, that is sort of the spread. That's how banks make money. Right. right. They, they take it. They take money at a lower rate. They, they put it out at Correct. a higher rate. But you have to remember, too, they're also projecting into the future because they're locking in, in some cases, that rate for you For up to 30 years. So So they're they're kind of projecting it over time.
1: So I'm not I'm not bashing the banks for making profit. Okay, that's fine. Um, What I'm what I'm questioning is, how does the Fed suck that money back in from banks that are flush with cash?
0: Okay, so basically what they have done, um, well, really over the last 10 to 12 years, but then they accelerated over the last couple of years, is they have bought assets in the market. So they went in, they bought two different asset classes. They bought treasury securities, and they bought mortgage-backed securities. Oh, and they're geez. sitting with You're $9 trillion of those. The Fed, $9 yeah. trillion dollars worth of those on their balance sheet, which, by the way, As we've talked about before, they bought that with money they created out of nowhere. When we when we do that, we create money out of nowhere and go buy things. It's fraud. When the Fed does it, it's monetary policy. So they created money, which is, you know, what is driving up the price of everything because it's not productive assets. They just added more to the money supply and they went out into the market and they bought all of these assets. Now, in addition to raising the interest rate, the other thing that you heard out of the Fed um, from their minutes this week is quantitative tightening. They're going to let that balance sheet run off um, either with direct sales or just by letting those assets mature and not reinvesting the money. And that's what changes the dynamic of getting the money out of the market.
1: Okay. But but you can't just, if you bought treasury bills <laughs> You can let it expire, but that means the government has to sell that someplace. And uh, right now, the Treasury is not having to really pay interest to the Federal Reserve because (laughs) it's illegal. So those are almost interest free loans for our debt. And, right. and then the, ru- pr- the rub
0: is with, when they when they take back in any profit off their securities, they actually have to give it by law back to the Treasury.
1: Right. So <laughs> we're getting we are actually getting free loans, but that ride is going to come to an end. Correct. And in, in in high inflation, I mean, you're looking at if I mean, if they can't sell those treasuries and you can't pay the interest rate, then you are technically in default.
0: Yeah. As I said, there's sort of two different strategies they have. They either let them mature, and then they just run off the balance sheets you know cuz they have them at different uh, maturities so they don't actually sell them into the market right. and then the secondary strategy is actually selling them back into the market but going back to bonds which is super complicated it goes back to the differential between yields and the bond prices Correct. so when you you know they they trade on an inverse basis and that's why you're seeing the the yields increase
1: okay so let's get out of the yield talk <laughs> let me let me just let, let me just ask, one more question on this do, how possible do you think it is that uh i mean the government pensions already have to buy railroad u.s postal service u.s military etc cetera, etc cetera. they have a requirement that those pensions hold 20 percent in treasuries um, it's a great way to force people to buy your treasuries. Now, that's government workers, so whatever. How likely is it that when we run out of people who want to buy our bonds <laughs> and our debt that they just go to a couple of things? They, they go and say, you're not going to get the federal insurance on this unless you buy and balance U.S. treasuries with it. You buy some of the debt. Um, and also the same kind of thing is... With Uncle Sam and ESG, you you won't be able to get insurance unless you buy these certain things.
0: I mean, it's a possibility. But look at what they just did uh, during covid. There were no international buyers. There were no domestic buyers to stand by and buy trillions of dollars worth of bonds to cover the spending that we did for, quote unquote, covid relief. Um, And that's why the Fed bought it I mean, It was basically the monetization of the debt. And obviously that's part of what caused inflation. The thought process is that as they raise interest rates, start to just decrease the balance sheet, they hit a wall. They can't do it anymore. And they reverse course. And we've seen this happen over and over again over the last 12 years where, oh, we're going to shrink the balance sheet. The market kind of freaks out. You know, the Congress has their spending plans and they change course. So the reality is In terms of the cycle, that there's some point in which they probably end up changing and going back and buying more assets again.
1: Um, (laughs) Let me, let me, let me, one more question on the interest rates. The St. Louis Federal Reserve leader has come out and said we need to raise interest rates immediately by three (sighs) points. Um, That would bring us to 3.5 at the bank level. Uh what, what it, how does the fed work does the St Louis fed guy have much say what does that mean
0: um, well, we've been hearing from a number of people at the Fed, including the what, who's considered to be the the most dovish or the one who's in, in most favor of a lot of support and stimulus, Lyle Brainerd, who's up for vice chair of the Fed. And we've been hearing pretty much sheer panic out of them, which is not really comforting for the market. And it is so frustrating. You should be so angry about this because they had so many opportunities where they could start to raise interest rates or they could pulled back the buying program, which, as we talked about, has the same impact in terms of rates. They were buying securities up until last month. So they could have stopped this a long time ago. They could have had a nice slow trajectory. Um, you know, 25 basis points here, 25 basis points there. We, they could have put us on a normalization path. Back in June of 2020, the market reached all-time highs. So this, this was not something, in my opinion, that was necessary. Um, and you know, they just sort of didn't let a crisis go to waste. And now the same people who created this situation, who didn't know there was going to be inflation, who didn't realize all these things are going to happen, are now promising they know exactly what to do to save us from you know this economic catastrophe or a recession or whatever it is um and the idea that you can just all of a sudden start to run off the securities in a major fashion or to jolt rates and that's not going to have major uh repercussions repercussions across the economy is absolutely insane
1: okay Uh, so i have a piece of good news that i want to Run by you because I've seen this more than once, and I, I would love to get your opinion on this. We'll return in 60 seconds with Carol Roth.
2: Na, 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 na.